I was not slated to be here today. I was going to be up at camp. My family's still at camp. But uh, I just I couldn't bear to be away from you guys. <laughs> I told them a different story, actually, up at camp. Uh, so don't talk with them, okay? No, um, we... Uh, uh, I, I was planning on being up there. Josh and I were both planning on being up there, and uh, but we're back. And one of the reasons I'm back is because I really wanted to introduce um, Barry to you guys. Barry's the guy who uh, is going to be speaking for us um, today, and I was really interested in introducing him and just kind of making sure that uh, that things are running the w- smoothly here this morning. I don't know if I did a great job of that or not, but uh, I, I'm really glad to be here with you, um, and I'm really glad to be here. Uh, to hear this message as well. I'm really interested in, um, in hearing this message that, that God's going to bring through Barry. And so uh, I want to introduce Barry to you a little bit. Um, I've known Barry for a few years now. Uh, Barry and I, I think, first met uh, Cornerstone. You know, many of you know uh, Cornerstone Christian Fellowship at this point out in Lebanon. They're a Church of the Brethren church plant out there that I, was, I served there, did an internship there when I was first getting into ministry. Um, uh, at that point, we had actually been talking about planting a church here um, as opposed to transitioning our church into this spot. And uh, I was doing a church planting internship to get that figured out to, to plant a church. And instead, we transitioned the whole church, which is awesome because now we can have this thing where we're all together. Um, but I was out there, and, uh, and when I, after being at Cornerstone, after I left, um, one of my friends, Jay, uh, ended up taking the the pastorate there, and uh, you, some of you know Jay, you came to our leadership workshop, and Jay led the leadership workshop. Netzer, the leadership organization that we work with, uh, Jay uh, helps lead that network, um, and uh, so that's the church, and Barry is one of the elders at that church, and I met him through Jay there, and uh, then Barry and I got to meet. We were both on the board of Susquehanna Valley Pregnancy Services. Uh, we overlapped just for a minute there, a couple months, maybe two months or something, um, I, was about, I was going off of the board there, and he was stepping onto the board. Um, that's a, a great ministry, uh, 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 pregnancy services, um, uh, that has multiple locations. It's a wonderful ministry um, that's in Lebanon and Lancaster and out in that area. And uh, I got to know Barry a little bit there. Um, Barry's background is that uh, Barry was a commander in the Army, uh, served overseas, um, worked with... Uh, tanks and oversaw uh, a, a group of men who uh, fought in overseas, and uh, now he practices law in Harrisburg. And I was I had a I have a whole bunch of jokes, but I just won't go there talking about law jokes. I, I'll leave you off the hook. You still have to preach after this, so I um, so I'm not going to tell any of the jokes. And um, Barry has been a man who, in my interactions with him, has brought a lot of wisdom. Uh, I, I've sensed a lot of wisdom in him when he's seen the scriptures and seen the church and uh, seen how to integrate uh, the scriptures in the church. And so I'm excited about hearing what it is that Barry has for us. The thing that, uh, that Barry has in common is he's uh, completely dedicated to the local church. And uh, he and his family and Olivia is his wife. And what are your kids' names again? Isaac and Scarlett, yeah, and Barry's mom's here with him too, so you can meet them and, um, and, and interact with them afterwards. But I know that they have been very, very dedicated to the local church, and uh, we hold that in common with them. And, and I know that Barry's wisdom has been really appreciated at Cornerstone. And Jay and I talk all the time about ministry, and he always brags about his elders. And uh, we always fight about who has better elders. Uh, no, so um, he, I know that uh, Barry has been a, a great asset 
uh, to the church out there. And I look forward to seeing what it is that God uh, has in store for us through this word. So I'm going to pray and open it up and then Barry's going to come and share. God, we just thank you and praise you. You know, we believe in, in the very, very depth, the fiber of who we are, at the core of who we are. We believe that you are the one who rules the church. You are the one who guides the church. You are the one who loves the church. You're the one who is the church. I mean, we are just the body of Christ. And, and because at the, at the core of us, we believe that then we believe that when we're interacting with other churches and when we're having people from other places come and communicate with us, that there's just such a special blessing because there's a whole nother part of your body that we get, you know, when, when, when I have an itch on my back, I'm really, I'm really grateful that I have a finger, <laughs> you know, to itch my back with. And, uh, and as a body, there's, there's all sorts of things that, uh, that interface with uh, one part of the body to another. And to be able to have partnership with other churches and interface with other churches, it's just the beauty of your kingdom and the beauty of you being the head of your church. And so we ask that God, uh, Barry, uh, as he comes to bring this word, God, that, that we would again be blessed by the fact that you're the head and you communicate through whatever part of the body you're using uh, that day and in that moment. And we ask that you would speak to us uh, through Barry. And, uh, and we ask that in, in, the, in the power of Christ's name. We ask that your anointing would be on him and your word would flow through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was a, a really cool introduction. Not the not the introduction of me, but the introduction of um, when Tim first got up and spoke. Uh, I don't I don't know if he planned it, but his his prelude to uh, to the word today was just it was just dead on, and I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen today. Um, Tim mentioned that we have a connection with with Parker Ford, and I'm just really I'm just really excited to be here. I just think it's really Cornerstone has been blessed, and I don't know if I don't know if you at Parker Ford know how much um, your church has blessed my church, our little part of the body, through Tim and through Josh, and just through just through the unity that we have with you guys. And this is actually the second time I've been here. We came, I think, last year uh, when Tim was teaching on Joseph, right? And we brought a piece of art that Olivia helped to to work on as well. So this is my second time here, and I just I really feel a connection. And and I, I shared this with Tim. Um, as we were coming in, as we were driving in, I, I have another connection to, uh, to, to this area of Pennsylvania, actually. Um, somewhat tenuous, but um, we were driving in, and I see the exit to Phoenixville. And Phoenixville, uh, just every time I drive by the exit, it sticks out in my brain. And as we were getting off the Phoenixville exit, it was, it was really interesting to me because when, when I was stationed in Iraq, I was stationed at this, this base called Ford Operating Base Bernstein. And... Uh, Ber- Fob Bernstein was named after uh, a brother lieutenant of mine. I, I, I didn't meet him, but he had been killed uh, in Iraq shortly before there. And his name was David Bernstein. He's from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And, and, and it's just really, it, it was just like this, this connection, you know, driving through every time I, I, I see it. Like I lived on this place on the other side of the world that's connected to, uh, you know, this part of Pennsylvania. And so I have that connection. The other connection that I have is... Um, you probably can't tell by looking at it, but when I was in college, I played football at this little Division II school out in Ohio. And uh, one year, we had our spring game, and, and in, in college, when they do the spring game, they divide the team up into two teams. And, and it's normally like Penn State, it's, it's uh, blue and white for Ohio State, 
my school. It's scarlet and gray, and, and, and it's a scarlet and gray team. And rather than doing the blue and red team, we divided up into two teams, and the offensive coordinator picked uh, a random name. The defensive coordinator picked a random name, and they just t- picked two random cities uh, in the United States, and the defensive coordinator picked Manitowoc, Michigan, or Wisconsin. I don't remember. Manitowoc Maulers. And then the defensive coordinator picked the Pottstown Panthers. And, and I... Yeah, I don't even know if that's a real mascot here in Pottstown, but um, I I was on the Pottstown Panthers, and if and and and, and uh, we won, we won our spring game, and and it was just yeah. So, so as a Pottstown Panther, it's just nice to be home. So, um, yeah, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to. Uh, oh, and by the way, I don't know if you know anything about football at all, but it's complicated. You run plays, and our coach had these little cards during the game, and. And he would draw up plays during the game, and he'd hand them to us. And we'd run it in, and we'd look at it, and we'd run the play, and we won. And the, the offensive coordinator, was just, he was just beside himself with anger because he had developed this complicated scheme. And so I like the way things are done here in Pottstown. It's, it's cool. Um, take your Bible. Go to um, Galatians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read right now from, from verse 17 to the end of chapter 2. And this is, a, this is a kind of – oh, it's up on the screen. Cool. Um, and I am reading from the NIV. So um, this is a, it, it can seem like a pretty weighty, a, a pretty weighty piece of scripture theologically. Um, but there's a core that runs through Galatians and it runs through all of the Bible that is really simple and really pure and really good and really clean. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But starting with verse 17, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What a, what a, what a powerful scripture. And like I said, there's this thread that runs all the way through the Bible, from, from Genesis all the way up through Galatians and even past Galatians, this common thread that runs through this story, that we can take a look at, at, um, at Galatians chapter 2.17 and see what Paul is really talking about here, because this is really good stuff. And what I want to do is share with you today, um, I, I shared this with Tim earlier this week, I was thinking, coming up here, what do I do? What, what do I preach to Parker Ford Church? And and it occurred to me, God just said really clearly, don't, don't preach anything to Parker Ford. Preach where you are. Preach what God has spoken to you. And this is a word that I just want to share with you is a word that is permeating throughout Pennsylvania. This is a word that is permeating throughout this region from Lebanon to Philadelphia and through other places, I'm sure. But this is a word that has just been confirmed. And, and this is a place that God has me camped out in and, and has had Cornerstone Church camped out in. And, and this is just a really strong word, and I just want to share this with you. But story is really, really important. I know, I know Tim talks about story. I know Josh talks about story. Story is so important. And so what I want to do is walk through you, with you, through a story that leads us to where Paul is in Galatians 2. And for us, that story starts actually back in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go back to, book, uh, to Acts chapter 10. And this is, um, we're going to pick up this story, this, this thread that runs through Genesis, all the way through the Bible. We're going to pick up this thread. And this thread is nothing, nothing else but the simple 
gospel message and what the gospel means. But we're going to pick it up in, in Acts chapter 10. Um, just so you're no, aware for background, here we are, the church has just, just been started. They've been formed, the Pentecost has come, the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, the believers, the disciples in, in Jerusalem, uh, they've raised up deacons, Stephen has been, has, been, uh, has been executed by Saul already. And at this point, the church in Jerusalem is scattering, and the church is scattered under Saul. Saul is per- persecuting the church, and the believers are scattered all throughout Judea. Uh, Philip and a couple others are leaving, are going abroad outside of Jerusalem into other countries and bringing that gospel message to other countries. But we find Peter. Peter is, uh, is, is traveling throughout Judea, staying in Judea, traveling through Judea. And he is, uh, he's, he's now located in Caesarea Philippi. Or actually, he's not in Caesarea. Um, I can't recall where he is at this point. Not really important. He, he's in Judea, um, and, and he's been traveling around, and, and he's been preaching the word. But now he finds himself in this one location. Meanwhile, in Caesarea Philippi, uh, a Roman centurion receives this vision. And this is chapter 10. This Roman centurion receives a vision, and, and it's this vision from a, an angel. And, uh, and about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. I'm in verse 3. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. Peter's in Joppa, um, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now this is just a real quick aside. I, could, I, I love history. I'm a student of history and especially military history. And I have this great affection for centurions. And, and these centurions are company commanders. They command, you know, like 100 soldiers, Roman soldiers. This is, a, this is just an aside just for your edification. It's free. Um, there, were, there were maybe five centurions in all of Judea in the first century. Maybe five. Four, possibly maybe five. We have accounts in the Bible. Oh, and there was a Roman government as well. We have the accounts of two centurions acknowledging the name and lordship of Jesus Christ. Two in the Gospels. And, and in Acts, we have two. And Pontius Pilate. So of the six main Roman officials in all of Judea, three, by the time we get to Acts 10, have, have declared the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's just awesome. And what a testimony of how God isn't confined to work just within his church, but all government is underneath is underneath his command. All the government rests on Jesus' shoulders. So that's just a cool aside that I just think is really neat, that God would bring this message through a centurion, through a soldier. But anyway, um, about noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice told him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so, go, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. 
Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him, told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. They fol- the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Taking, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And then we have this story, this great story of how Peter, through his ministry, converts Cornelius and his entire household. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his household, upon Gentiles, which was a big deal. Because right here, what happened in chapter 10 was a, was, a, was a huge occurrence. And before we go into that and talk about the story, will you just pray with me really quick? I just want to bless this word in this time. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for your word, because your word is good. And, and we thank you for the story that you have written, the story of your gospel that you have, that you have crafted uh, through all of the Bible that you have shared with us, and, and, and for your presence in our lives. Lord, we thank you because you are the word, you are the truth, uh, you are life, Lord, and we just thank you for the way that you inspire these words and for the way that you uh, inhabit our hearts, Lord. We invite your spirit here, and we, we receive your spirit uh, for the words and for the message that you have for us today, Lord. Uh, we love you, we glorify your name, and uh, we just lift up your beauty. In your name we pray, amen. So Acts chapter 10, a great prelude to Galatians 2, and we're going to get there. But what happened in Acts chapter 10? I mean, this is earth-shaking stuff, what, what Peter just did in Acts chapter 10. And it's really important for us to look at, as Americans, as Pennsylvanians, as people here at Parker Ford, as people at Cornerstone Church, this is just a critical scripture. Because today, what I want to talk with you and what I want to share with you is this word that God is, is, is breaking uh, throughout this region about the way that we approach tradition and the way that we approach law, and the way that we create these rules for ourselves, and these ways that we live uh, to ourselves, and the way that we say that we can be right with God. Well, here we have Peter. All right, Peter's a Jew. Peter has been a Jew his entire life. Even during the time that he walked with Jesus in Galilee throughout Judea, Peter was a Jew, and Peter was a hardcore Jew. You see this in, in this passage in chapter 10. Peter says in, to the vision that he has, he says to Jesus, I cannot do this. The sheet comes down with animals. And, 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 and Jesus says, kill and eat these animals. And Peter says, I can't do that. The law says that I cannot do that. Because Peter was committed to the law. Peter, even though he had walked with Jesus, even after Pentecost, even after receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter was at his heart a Jew. And at his heart, every Jew was bound to observe this law that had been established from Genesis all the way up uh, through Moses, uh, through Leviticus and on. This law is what governed their lives. And so Peter gets this vision. Peter, he's hungry. It says here in Acts 10 that he's hungry. So, so he could easily dismiss it as a dream, but he gets this vision of a sheet that comes down and it's filled with all sorts of animals, both clean and unclean. 
And the voice says to him, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm a Jew. But then the conversation continues. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And from this, Peter embarks on this earth-shaking, this, this groundbreaking, this history-changing decision about what he's going to do. Because just at that moment, God had already orchestrated that a Roman centurion would send soldiers to come and get him to invite him to his house. And understand that Peter, as a Jew, prior to receiving this vision and prior to having this conversation with Jesus, could never have gone. This is not an option for him. Up to this point, Peter had only preached the gospel to Jews. He had only stayed within the Jewish community. And, and up to this point, he could not have gone because he was still bound to this law that he obeyed. But the thing is that Peter acknowledged his story. Because who was Peter? Who do we know that Peter was? Peter was this, this simultaneously impetuous but intractable, unmovable guy. When, when Jesus says that, that I am going to die and you are all going to fall away, Peter's response is surely not me. <laughs> Peter is just set in his ways. He's intractable. He's unmovable. But he's dedicated. He wants to do what's right. He wants to do what God wants him to do or what he thinks God wants him to do. We know this about, about Peter. Peter, this is all part of Peter's story. And so he's here receiving this vision, having this conversation. And I got to think that he's thinking about his story and who he is. We know that Peter, of all of anybody throughout history, of anybody that had anything to be ashamed of, Peter's right there at the top. Because not only does Peter say, I'm not going to leave you, Lord, but I'm going to be right there with you. I'll die too. But what does Peter do? He denies even acknowledging. He disowns Jesus Christ three times of all the things to be ashamed of. This is this guy. Um, I, I love the gospel, the way that it talks about the disciples and, and Jesus' interactions with the disciples. One of the things about Peter and the other disciples is that they were always wrong. <laughs> How many times was Jesus like, are you guys so dumb that you don't get this? And so this is all part of Peter's story. And, and he gets this vision, this thing that God is telling him to do something so outside of the normal, so outside of anything that he ever understood as something that he could do and still be a good Jew and still be a believer in the Most High God. Because at this point, there is no Christian Christianity is just an offshoot of the Jewish faith. The name Christian doesn't come up until, I think, chapter 12 in Acts, the first time. And so Peter, with his story and all of this identity of who he could possibly see himself as, and all of these weaknesses and all of his strengths and everything, takes this story and comes to a conclusion that is just, like I said, it's earth-shaking. What is the conclusion that Peter draws from this vision of, of the sheet coming down? It's not, hey, I can eat anything. I'm going to go have a ham sandwich. That's not what he concluded at all. And, 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 and listen, it's, it's wrong to read chapter 10 just for that. That vision of the sheet, it is wrong for us to read that just for that image. Sure, we can eat anything now. We have that freedom in Christ. But what Peter's conclusion was, what was his conclusion from that sheet? He says, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. There weren't men on the sheet, right? There wasn't like a human that Peter thought, yeah, I'd like to taste what that is and I'll be a cannibal. No, this was 
clean and unclean animals. He's hungry. The voice says, go kill and eat. And Peter's conclusion in verse 28, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. What a conclusion. Because with that conclusion, he goes to Cornelius and this family of Gentiles, this whole household of Gentiles, and they receive the Holy Spirit because of Peter's conclusion that God has said that I should, that I should not call any man impure or unclean. It's an awesome conclusion. But see, what happened here, I think, is that Peter, remembering his story, remembered something more important. And what he remembered is what Jesus said about him. Go into your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. This is one of my favorite chapters of all the Bible. Matthew 16. Again, we find Jesus and the disciples a little far away. Okay, thanks. In uh, Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? I'm in verse 13. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I think that in this space, Peter remembered this. Despite his story and despite his identity and what he could have thought of himself, he remembered that Jesus said, you are the rock. Upon you, I will build my church. And what you bind on earth and loose on earth, I will bind in heaven and loose in heaven. And there's a really cool thing about that sentence there. That word be, will be. Um, the Greek for that word is, and I might mess up the pronunciation, but it's I, me. And I, me, the way that that is translated is actually more of a word that says, will have been. So when Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, he's saying, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And that's, that's probably a better way to read that. Because this thing where, where Jesus calls Peter, Peter, isn't like some, some cosmic assignment of some super huge role, although Peter does have a great role in the church. It's just a confidence that Jesus says in Peter. And it's a confidence that says, because you are my son, my brother, Jesus saying it to Peter, you are the person upon whom I will build my church. And it's not anything that you can do. It's about me because what you do here, I will have already done. And that way you can move out in confidence. You can move out in confidence in your identity as the rock, as Peter. And it's not anything that you have to do on your own. And so I think Peter remembered this story. I think Peter remembered that while he was walking with Jesus, Jesus had already declared that no man is unclean. Back in Matthew 15, uh, the Pharisees accuse Peter and the other disciples of not washing their hands before they eat, and Jesus rebukes them and, and, and looks at their tradition because what the Pharisees had was this tradition that had been passed down through the ages, and it had become so important to them that it was now law, that before you ate, you had to do a ceremonial hand washing so that you could be clean. And I think Peter remembered that Jesus said, it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean, but what comes out. It's your heart. Jesus' whole ministry was about the heart. 
And in Matthew 15, he says, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. It's not what you put into it. It's not what you do that determines anything. It's where your heart is. And I think Peter remembered that Jesus had already spoken to a Canaanite woman who said, can I just have the scraps from your table? And and Jesus says, your faith is great and invites this Canaanite woman, Canaanite, non-Jew, into the kingdom. And I think that Peter remembered the story of Jesus dealing with the Samaritan woman in John 4 at the well where Jesus offers the kingdom to a Samaritan woman. So Peter knew it's not that he did something just phenomenal. It's not something that he just made this great conclusion, but he realized that what, what he was going to bind and loose was already done. It wasn't up to him. And what Peter really did, what Peter really did in this space was to invite the Holy Spirit and to receive the Holy Spirit into his life, to do something that he could never have thought to do. And it was no less than taking all of the deeply held traditions that were so important to him, his identity and this law that was the core of who Peter was, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and just flip that on its head and speak this word that freed Peter from the law, that freed us from the law. The effect of this is huge because we would not be here in this room if not for that, if not for Peter's realization that the law has nothing to do with it. It's nothing that I can do. My traditions, my law, everything that I hold sacred in my life has nothing to do with whether I can be right with God. Amen? And that, that is the core of the gospel that brings us to Galatians 2. So go back to Galatians 2. And what I want to do now is read what happens right before what we read. Because now the turn... The story of Peter takes a really strange turn. But it's a strange turn that's not hard to believe. It's not not one that's hard to identify with. Because when Peter came to Antioch, this is is Paul speaking to the Galatians, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, remember that phrase. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so here we go back to Acts 10. 
the very man that was persecuting the church, that drove Peter to this house in Joppa to receive this vision where he says that no man is, is impure or unclean, where the law doesn't control, where what I do doesn't control whether I am right with God. Here is this very same man who has had his own conversion, who has received the gospel, the very same gospel, who confronts Peter, who has now gone back to that same place that he was before, where he was trying to establish a law unto himself, where he could make himself right with God. And he went back to what was comfortable. He went back to the traditions that he grew up with. He went back to the law that he understood. He went back to all of that stuff and said, if I can just do this right, I will be right with God. Completely forgetting that the core of the gospel is that there's nothing that we can do. Galatians is a great summary of the book of Romans. You can go through and tie Romans to Galatians and see how all of this weaves together. The whole gospel message is right here. There is nothing that I can do to make myself right with God. And this is the core of, uh, of Paul's message here. I'm going to say it again. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. We are not justified by the law. We cannot be justified by any tradition. We cannot be justified by any action that we take or anything that we make sacred and say, if I just do these things, God will find me good. No. God finds us good. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's the gospel message. And that's what Paul confronts with Peter. And whether you see it or not here, this is Peter still binding and loosing. <laughs> because having this conversation and allowing Saul to, to confront him in his face with the gospel is binding and loosing what Jesus has already done. And it's that reiteration of what it is. And what, what Paul goes on to say in Galatians, this is great. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Rhetorical question. Did you receive the law? By, did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law or receiving what you heard? It's not about obeying the law. It's about receiving the gospel, the blood of Jesus, and the Spirit of God to come and live within you. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Because you believe what you heard. It has nothing to do with anything that we can do. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Just this great exposition of the core of the gospel. And he goes on, because what is, the, what is the end result for us? If we live by faith, if we accept the gospel for what it is, and put aside these things that we cling to so tightly, that these traditions and these sacred things and the law that, that we think is going to make us right, if we get rid of these things, if we live by faith, what happens? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We sang a song today that said, Your goodness, may your goodness bind me like a fetter. A fetter is a chain that a slave wears. And God's goodness is that we are no longer slaves to the law. 
The law of sin and death that God gave us is good because it points out to us that apart from God, we are nothing. Apart from God, we deserve death. But the law of sin and death gave way to Jesus Christ, whose blood redeemed us and justified every single one of us so that we are right with God if we just believe. And if we believe, we are sons of God and heirs with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the core of the gospel. And it is so applicable to us here. And, and it's, not just, it's not just Parker Ford, but I think to the church in America. Because we can be a really, really religious people. And what Paul is talking about right here is nothing less than the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion and devotion to the law of religion will get us nowhere. The traditions that we have will get us nowhere. And obedience to that gets us nowhere. And, and understand, you don't have to be old to have traditions. You don't have to be old to have established a law unto yourself. The youngest Christian can establish a law unto himself and say, if I just act this certain way, if I just do these certain things, if I am just this certain way, God will find me good. And that's just a lie. And it's a lie from hell that the enemy loves more than anything else. Because understand, there's nothing that the enemy would rather have the church do than to obey a set of laws and traditions. Because what does Paul say happens when we do that? When we give way to law and tradition, what does Paul say is the result? Verse 21 of chapter 2, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we set up traditions and we make things sacred and we hold ourselves to those, or worse yet, we hold other people to those things and say, this is the law, this is the way it's done, this is the deal, we have done nothing less than saying that the grace of God is meaningless that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross was meaningless. It is the opposite. It's the complete opposite of a declaration of faith. Because a declaration of faith says that I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and that's all that matters. And when we adhere to a law and try to make a law for ourselves, we say the exact opposite. We say, I don't believe that Jesus Christ did that. Because I can do it on my own. And we can be a religious people. We can be a religious people. This is where independence was created, right? This is, this is where the concept of independence came from. And when we take a law to ourselves, we say, I can do this. And this resonates with people from Pennsylvania, people from Ohio, where I'm from, people from California. I can, I can handle this, God. I can do this. And that's what Peter found himself doing in Acts 10. But that's the lie. And that's the lie that the enemy wants more than anything for us to hold on to. Because it's the opposite of the declaration of faith. Because the enemy wants us to say that Jesus didn't do anything. That I can do it without Jesus. And if we do that, then our church is split. And if we can do that, then the kingdom is divided. And if, and if we can just follow these traditions and laws, then the kingdom is divided. And nothing gives the enemy more power and more happiness than that. But the hope in all of this is really good. Because what we saw in Acts 10 and what we see afterwards, the, the significance of Acts 10 is that Peter was willing to be reconverted and to be reconverted and to be reconverted and to continually be reconverted. And Paul goes through this process too. You can read it in Romans. That's what Jesus wants from us. It's okay to find ourselves in that place where tradition and law and the stands that I have for myself 
to find myself adhering to that. It's okay. It's okay to find ourselves there. What's not okay is to stay there. And that's the significance of Acts 10. And that's the real significance of Galatians 2. Because what God is looking for is for a church, a body of believers that are willing to say, I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to do whatever it is that he's going to do, to upturn the apple cart, to throw everything out the window because everything's on the table when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Everything's on the table. Because the Holy Spirit wants to show us deeper truths about what the gospel means and about what it means to be a son of the Most High God. Because when we do the other thing, we claim orphan, orphanhood. We would just rather be an orphan. But he wants to show us more about what it means to be a son of God. And that's going into every deepest place of our hearts. Because Jesus is a God that cares about our hearts and not about our actions. And that's what he wants to do. He wants people like Peter in Acts 10 that are willing to just say that, Holy Spirit, I receive you to do what you will do. Listen, the Bible is full of all sorts of ways that we can interact with the Holy Spirit. Only one of them is positive. The rest say that we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can, we can stifle the Holy Spirit. But the one way that we can interact with the Holy Spirit that's positive is to receive. And the opposite of religious spirit and adherence to the law is rest. To just sit back and let the Holy Spirit come in and do what he will do. And rest in the grace of Jesus Christ and his blood. This is the final point that I would like to share. Um, go back to Matthew 16. This is the call for the church today, as much as it was the call to the disciples in, uh, in Matthew 16. And uh, just so you know, this binding and loosing that Jesus spoke over Peter applies to us as well. It's not just Peter that's binding and loosing. Jesus spoke this to the disciples two chapters later in Matthew 18 to all of them. What you bind on earth, I will have bound in heaven. What you loose on earth, I will have loosed in heaven. And he says it again in John. Um, It has special meaning to the disciples, but his church is still that body that binds and looses what he has already bound and loosed. But in, in, in chapter 16, this is the call. And this ties in so well to Galatians 2. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. God is looking for for sons, for a church that remembers our story and remembers what he said about us. And what he says about us is that you are my sons, that you are full co-heirs with me, and that if you will just let my spirit come in, if you will put to death these things and take up the cross the way that I take up the cross, then you have complete confidence that what I have already bound and loosed will be bound and loosed through you. And that's the core of sonship. I think about this. This is one of the the hardest passages of Scripture, this last verse. Verse 28. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I've often wondered what Jesus was talking about there. Because obviously all of those people died. And, And his kingdom... While it's proximate in here, he hasn't come back on the clouds with his angels. I've often wondered, 
what God has spoken to me, what that means for me, is what I want to share with you and to challenge you. I read this, and I, and I thought when Jesus said, surely there are some here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come, it hit me that I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be one of those people that hasn't tasted death, that hasn't put to death the rules and the laws and the things that I set for myself to be right with God. I don't want to be one of those people because he's coming back, whether I want to do it or not. And I don't want to be one of those people that hasn't tasted the death to myself, that spiritual death that says the Holy Spirit can come in. I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe in the sacrifice of Jesus above everything else, and there's nothing that I can do. I don't want to be one of those people, and I don't want you to be those people. I don't want Cornerstone. I don't want the church of Jesus Christ to be those people that aren't willing to put to death those things and taste that death so that we can experience what it really means to be sons, to not be orphans any longer, but to be sons of Jesus. As Paul said in Galatians then again, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The hope of putting to death ourselves is that Christ lives. Because if we share in the death of Jesus, we absolutely share in the resurrection. And that resurrection is that if I put to death these laws, these traditions, these things that just don't matter, (laughs) then I don't have to worry about living another way because he is going to live in me. Because Christ lives in me. And I am justified and I am right (laughs) because his blood makes me right. And that's all that there is. So that's the challenge that we get from Galatians 2 and Acts 10. And uh, we just don't want to be the people that refuse to taste death, that refuse to, to go down that road that is so good, that life that Jesus Christ has for us. Let's pray.